Okay, very good. This is part two of our series on Maisek Sopim. Last week we discussed the basic Chiyav and the nature of the Chiyav. We said that it seems that the preponderance of the Postgim hold that it's essentially a Minag Tov, a Minag that each person can uh, take upon uh, themselves. Uh, and we spoke about how Maisek Sopim essentially means Echon Mei Eser. It's one tenth, uh, but uh, sometimes a person can give, uh, you can give up to a Chomish. Sometimes it's even ideal to give a Chomish, and sometimes you can give more than a Chomish. So uh, I, now I wanted to uh, speak today about uh, some of uh, the more specific calculations of how one determines the base of their income and uh, what uh, deductions can be made and also what types of contributions really count towards my six off. And the Noda Biuda in Madura Tinyana Simon Reish Tzadiches Yeridea points out that uh, since Maisek Sopim, as we mentioned last week, has very little of a shorish in uh, the Talmud. Uh, you t- can't really find uh, any discussion explicitly, as we um, as we saw last week. You have to find the Tosos and Tainus, the to find some sort of a reference to Maisek Sopim. So it's difficult to find Rayas B'davashem B'shorish. It's very difficult to find proofs one way or another, so we only have Svaros Krasios, he points out. We only have the svaros of the stomach that we sort of make up on our own. So you look in all the Maisek Sopim Svarim, of which there are many, many multitudinous Svarim articles that have been written on Maisek Sopim. So sometimes you get down to the nitty-gritty. Does this count? Does that count? You make a contribution towards this. Uh, raffle tickets, uh, uh, the uh, shul, uh, seats, uh, the, the things of this uh, variety. Um, when exactly do you calculate uh, when you get a... Uh, you make a contribution to a pension fund, or do you calculate when you get the salary, do you calculate when you take out the money from the pension fund? Lots of different discussions uh, don't really have a, a firm basis that you can point to chapter or verse. So very often uh, you find that there are machlokasim uh, with respect to some of the nitty-gritty uh, details. So in his particular context, he was figuring out when does one sit down and make the calculations. We spoke about that a little bit uh, last uh, uh, last week. And uh, he knows, look, since uh, the pasuk that we're deriving from is uh, that's uh, called an asmachta, but that's what we're looking at. So you should make the calculations at some point uh, during uh, the year that it should be essentially you weigh all of the profits and the losses that you've made over the course of a given year. You could do it, uh, as we mentioned last uh, week, uh, you could do it twice a year, you could pick one time a year, but you pick units, which are basically one-year units. Uh, the Shevet Alevi in Achuva says that he thinks that the most logical time is Zayyam Tchilas Masechah, you start with Rosh Hashanah. So you calculate from one Rosh Hashanah to the next Rosh Hashanah. Some say, well, often when we look at our income and we look at how much we've made and so forth, so really that's based on, upon our tax returns and our tax statements, so it makes more sense to follow the general fiscal year of January 1st to December 1st. And I heard from uh, Rav Shachter that uh, there's some sort of a minigal, though I didn't really see this. I looked in a number of places. I didn't see this explicit so much. Some choose Tu Bishvat in Yana Diyoma because Tu Bishvat is a time of uh, Shana Bishana. That's, uh, the, uh, the, that, that's, that's where Shana Shana, that's where you have uh, the differentiation between the crops of one year and the crops of the previous year. Did, this, did the fruit... Uh, ripen before Tu Bishvat or after Tu Bishvat in terms of determining to which year of the Shemitah cycle fruit belonged to for purposes of calculating Maisos. So it makes sense, but you would calculate Maisa Ani from the fruits and you would calculate from Tu Bishvat. So if uh, Maisa Ksafim is sort of an outgrowth of Maisa Ani on some level, so Tu Bishvat would also make sense. 
So again, let's uh, you know now focus on uh, some of uh, the very important uh, questions in terms of practicality. How is the income calculated when I am sitting down, whether it's uh, after Tubishrat or Rosh Hashanah on December 31st, whatever it is, how is the income calculated in terms of determining the base? So Rav Moshe, if you look in source at 34, Rav Moshe Feinstein uh, points out, this is in the Igros Moshe, Yodech, Elik, Aleph, Simen, Kufat, Mem, Gimel, um, uh, that uh, the um, uh, that uh, there are certain types of taxes which are essentially the payment of an obligation. If I make a salary and then I use that salary to pay off certain obligations, so if I'm paying off an obligation, so it doesn't matter. I'm still getting a benefit from that money right away. So I would have to take my share in that money. But if there are certain monies that are taken off the top, so that I never even am able to use that money altogether to pay off my personal obligations, because it just goes straight to the government. I can't really decide what I'm going to use it for. So he said that uh, there's no mice to be paid on that because all of that is being used really by uh, somebody else. Um, so if you look at the second paragraph of uh, the excerpt from uh, the Chuba, so he says uh, that something which is a chov, which is akin to a certain type of tax that they had in the Gemara called Kesev Golgalta, that if I have to pay a certain amount whenever I want to buy clothing or whenever I want to uh, buy uh, a particular uh, object or I wanted to buy uh, a uh, any item in which there's going to be a sales tax, basically, or I have to I buy a house and I have to uh, pay real estate tax on the house. So this is a part of the benefit that uh, I am receiving in terms of in terms of buying this clothing, in terms of buying various objects, furniture, whatever, and in terms of buying a house. So just like I have to pay a certain amount of money, so there's an additional amount of money that I have to pay called sales tax, an additional amount of money that I have to pay called real estate tax. But this is money that I'm paying to receive a direct benefit. It's a personal benefit. So all of these types of misim these are all monies that I have first received, and I decide this is how I want to spend my money. Just like I may receive a salary, I decide I, I want to buy a pizza. So because I bought a pizza with that money, so therefore I don't have to pay my on it, so I have to pay my I decide that I want to uh, buy a nice new suit. So because I bought a new suit, uh, so therefore I don't have to pay my on that money, so it's the same thing. I buy the suit, I also have to pay sales tax. So, so all of that is not excluded. How about, but he says, Hamisim, shall income tax, he writes out income tax. You look at the last line of the, uh, of the second paragraph. It's considered as if I got no profit, I got no satisfaction from that money because I never saw that money. Any money that basically is taken off the top in terms of withholding tax and the like, I guess you could choose not to have it as withholding tax, yeah. just pay it yourself at the end of the year, but still you just... Basically, you can't do anything with that money other than hand it over to uh, the government. So it uh, says, uh, Rav Moshe, all of that can be taken off at the top before you calculate the uh, before you calculate the base. I can do the opposite. Uh, I can have yeah. it withhold the whole thing and then get it back when the year's over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then you should pay my sermon. You I, still, see, I you still have to pay your tax. tax. You still have to pay your tax. So social security tax is very interesting because eventually you're going to get you're going to get it back. Maybe, maybe well, not. Right, but but you don't know 100. percent So really, there it makes the most sense. You're not seeing a benefit right away. You don't think there's any benefit in income. Who knows what's going to happen? That's an interesting question. Who knows? There's some talk about, well, maybe income tax should be stopped, right? Because, you know, maybe it goes to welfare programs and the likes of some aspects. It goes to the election. police. But it's not really relevant to even make that uh, calculation if uh, you don't have to count it in the base to begin with. Whatever it's used for, it's not counting towards uh, the uh, towards the base. Now, Ramosha does have a, uh, a chiddush here. 
he says, but sometimes you get a tax deduction from the charity that you pay. So let's say that you have a certain amount of, of that we're going to calculate from the base, and then you pay a certain amount of it, um, of my six of him based on whatever your base is. So you had a hundred thousand dollars of salary. You paid thirty a muscle, a muscle, an example. You paid thirty five percent in taxes, let's say, and you're left with sixty five thousand dollars. So you end up paying my six of him. So you make a calculation. Okay, I'll pay. $6,500 for my six of them. Now, the government says, oh, uh, so you paid $6,500. We're going to give you uh, 35% um, uh, back. Uh, from uh, in, in your income, it'll be sort of a tax deduction. So uh, instead of our looping off uh, $35,000 from your income, we're going to loop off a little bit less, and you'll get back $2,275. So, so instead of a uh, paycheck, instead of ending up with 65000 at the end of the day, since you gave 6500 in taxes, so the way that it's calculated, you end up with, uh, I don't know, uh, 60, uh, $67,775. You end up with another... $2,275. It says for Moshe, you don't have to give the benefit from your tzedakah to tzedakah. If you got a benefit from the tzedakah, you get to keep that. Now, I assume what Moshe means by that is you get to keep that. Well, you get to keep that as your own income, but not that you get to keep it without giving my six up on it. So I assume that what he means is that that additional $2,275 that you ended up getting because you paid the $6,500 in, um, in Staka, um, so that uh, you'd, be, you'd have to pay an additional $227.50 of my six up on <laughs> that amount. Um, so that is a, right. That is a, um, right. It's so that is. So if you look at the body of Shulchan, remember five Bukhan that we mentioned uh, Zeka Sagar that we mentioned last uh, last week. So he basically has a very very long page in his discussion of Isaac Sufin, Simon Reishman Tess and Yerodeah, um, in which he goes through this uh, uh, this calculation, and there are a lot of numbers there, and it's very confusing. But I think at the end of the day, that's basically what he's saying is this um, this uh, is this idea. This is also relevant to the Chicago SDC program. So we had this uh, program over here where if you decide that all of your um, state tax uh, is going to go towards a particular school, so you can flag it to go towards a particular school, so you get, I think, 75% yep. basically goes towards the school, and you get a 75% tax benefit for that, yeah. for that amount. Um, so presumably, from that additional amount, if you're getting a 75% tax benefit, but it's going towards the school, it's going towards the yeshiva. So if you say that paying towards the yeshiva counts towards my six often, which is certainly the Chafetz Chaim seems to say, and the Yafaz Chesed seems to have a strong basis for that. So then there's a strong argument to be made. And many of the postkim have said this. They quote Rishmol first, Shrita, as posking this way. You get to count that amount. That amount that otherwise would have been taken off the top because it's part of your income tax, it's part of your state tax, you get to count at least 75% of that amount you get to count of towards my six often because it's going towards the yeshivas. It's coming from your income, it's going towards the yeshivas. They say, that's all fine and good, of course, but at the same time, then you have to add to whatever your base is, you have to add that amount of money. Because if you're counting it, you have to count it from a base. You can't just say, I'm going to count it from the lower base. So then you have to add back that 75% to your total amount. And then you would have to take off, presumably, another 10% from that total amount, if you see what I'm saying. Wow. Uh, so, so if you give, according to the Badia Shokan's analysis and the way that we're interpreting emotion. So if you give ten thousand to the yeshiva, and then you're going to get seventy five hundred back on your taxes. 
Oh, you're, you're going to end up doing much, much better from a Maisek Safin right. perspective because even I though I'm still going to take another 10% from that benefit, but I get to count everything, 90% of that amount that otherwise wouldn't have been counted, I'm going to get, I'm going to be able to count that entire amount towards Maisek Safin. So it's a very, very good deal. Okay. Now, what about deductions for business expenses? Let's say you make a lot of money, but you also have to spend a lot of money. You have to invest a lot, especially you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're starting up a new enterprise, so you have to sink a lot of money into that new enterprise. You may not even see profits for a couple of years or so. So can you deduct the business expenses? There is a tshuva by the Chabos Yai, if you look in source claim. I had a back and forth with Rav David Oppenheim, who we mentioned last week, who was his correspondent from Nicholsburg. And David Oppenheim gave one argument as to why it would make sense to take business expenses as a deduction from the total income. And the Chavos said, I basically agree with your conclusion, but I'm going to give a different analysis. Because in, if we're comparing Maisek Safim to Maisek Ani, this would be a difficult thing to do. Because when it comes to Maisek Ani, you don't get to take any deductions. If it costs me a certain amount of money to buy seeds to plant into the ground, and now those seeds yield a tremendous crop, and from that crop I have tremendous yield that I'm giving 10% as Maisek, after I give the other two months Maisek, I'm giving 10% as Maisek Ani. So I don't get to deduct from my Maisek Ani. Say, oh, I'm going to take off from the top the amount that it cost me to buy the seeds. I don't get to do that. But he says, but this is very different. Maisek Safim is very different because when it comes to planting something into the ground, it's all basically derech It's a miracle. I put a seed into the ground. It disintegrates into the ground. And now, this is unbelievable yield that comes out. It's basically a nesmin of shemayim. So, therefore, it has nothing to do with the amount that I sunk into it. And I don't get to take that as a deduction. That's just like my hishtadus, whatever. But I don't get to take that as a deduction. But he said, but he says that when it comes to business, the whole way in which the uh, Kaddish Baruch Hu created the world is uh, that uh, you, in order to make profit from uh, buying certain items and selling certain items, you have to put a tremendous amount of effort into it. You have to travel across the seas in order to uh, in, or, in, in order to uh, be able to pick up uh, certain fine uh, spices and to be able to uh, pick up uh, certain special types of animals that you're going to uh, then sell elsewhere. And there's a lot of investment and a lot of work and a lot of effort that goes into it. There are certain very fine types of items that you have to dig from uh, the uh, that you have to dig out from the bed of the sea, like a corral, if you're going to dig out Amogin, corral from the bed of the sea, so it's going to uh, cost, uh, it's going to take uh, 12,000 people and, uh, and six months of effort until they're finally able to dig it out. So you're telling me that all of that toil and trouble, you're not going to deduct it all. So he says that, then I'm not going to end up um, making any kind of a profit whatsoever. I might put in $90,000 of efforts in order to make $100,000, and if out of that $100,000, I have to pay 10000 in uh, tax in myself, I, I end up uh, doing all that work for absolutely nothing. It's not the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world. Look at about uh, the seventh line down to the last two words on line. How can you imagine such a thing that people are they're working and working and working in order to make a living here and they're not able to take off their business expenses you have to travel far and work very hard and hire people in order to in order to be able to draw gold in order to be able to dig gold from the region of Ophir and Chabila and Abanim Tovos and the fine precious stones, from the far east, 
um, uh, or me India, Marcos Kihino, Magyo, Priti, Hayan, all these different names and regions that he talks about. Well, you have to go to all these far out regions in order to have Kano Shein, Hubanim, in order to bring ebony and ivory, Kupim, Betukhim, or for that matter, monkeys and the parrots, more of all those Kanakina Mekinamon, and Mir, and Aloe, and Kassian, and Kalamas, and Cinnamon. Uh, and all of these, uh, the, and all these special items, or look at the Esrog uh, salespeople, the Esrog merchants, and how hard and how far they have to go to bring their Esrog in from Morocco and uh, all of these other um, far out places in order to uh, sell them. And it's going to cost them a tremendous amount of investment. Uh, and even a king of Israel would have to spend an enormous amount of money in order to harvest all of these are wonderful and important things. So he says that this is the Minaka Olam, the way that a Kodesh Baruch Hu created it. The Chalak Kodesh Baruch Hu, look at the last two lines, Atovos Udram Shem Ritzach Adam, Medinos Mekulakim. A Kodesh Baruch Hu split up all of the raw materials and all of the uh, fine uh, things of the world in the different countries and different regions and different continents. So we all need each other and we need to invest money in order to, in order to be able to benefit from uh, the uh, from uh, the, the the materials and uh, from uh, the uh, and, and and from uh, the riches of all of these different locations. Am I speaking And this is uh, basically the foundation of all business in the world that Kodesh Baruch Hu created it. And uh, people have to spend a lot of money. And you spend an enormous amount of money. You could spend this. Not such an unusual thing. Think about the restaurant business. I mean, people spend an enormous amount of money to get very little at the end. You, you put in $90,000 to get $100,000. Um, so it's not the way it works when you're putting a few seeds into the ground and there's a tremendous rainfall and a tremendous bounty and you're making like a miraculous profit when it comes to business uh, you could have, sometimes you have to put in an enormous amount just to get very little so obviously obviously you would have to the right to take business deduction so this is essentially this argument of the Chavos Yair very eloquent uh, exposition about uh, the nature of how Kodesh Baruch Hu created uh, business uh, opportunities in this world and how there are different materials that are allocated to different regions so everybody should work hard to transport from one place to another place and so forth. So this basically is accepted. You look at the Aruch HaShokan in Source 30 in Simon Reish Memtes at Sib Zayin says when you make a cheshbon klali at the beginning of uh, the year, so uh, you look at basically all your business expenses and you only give maizer from what is nisha rebach. Look at the second line of the Yerach HaShokan. Osa cheshbon klali ma'ashin nisha rebach nosti maizel tzedakah v'chla rebach nesha rebach rebach hanaki he says that you have to first deduct all the expenses that you had. Well, even the travel expenses, your eating and drinking expenses, some postkim say eating and drinking, meaning beyond that which you would normally have available at home, that you have to spend more money in order to have food available. Sometimes when you travel uh, afar, like think about like how much you have to pay in the airport, right? Um, and then you get to subtract all of those amounts. Whatever is set is whatever is left over after you have made all, after you have calculated all of uh, those expenses. That's what is called the Rebach. So there are a number of picayune 
discussions amongst the post games. So let's say you have to buy a fancy suit for business purposes. If I'm just operating within my own community, I don't need to show up so much to have such a fancy, fancy custom-made Hong Kong suit or whatever. But if I'm in the business world, so I have to make a good impression, and that could be the difference in terms of my sealing a major deal or not. So therefore, I'm allowed, even though I need to wear clothing, I didn't, wouldn't have bought such a fancy uh, custom-made suit, so therefore I would be allowed to deduct the cost of that suit. But says the Chavos yeah, that's if it's as fancy as it needs to be, but you make it like even fancier. You decide you're going to have like extra couplings and you're going to have like extra buttons and so forth that you don't really, really need. So, you know, don't overdo it. If you overdo it, uh, so then uh, that you don't get to deduct. Is the regular suit price or the whole suit price? Um, well, it's whatever you had to pay for it. Whatever you had to pay for it. Um, and uh, then uh, there are uh, there are discussions about <coughs> what exactly counts. So some of the posts can point out, let's say a woman goes to work and uh, she needs to go to work to make a living to help support her family and so forth. There's a little child and the child has to be put in daycare. So because she's only putting the child in daycare because of the fact that she's going to work in order to earn money for the family, therefore even daycare counts as a business expense in that particular context. So every single expense has to be looked at uh, separately uh, in terms of uh, these types of calculations. And then they have discussions about what if you have an ad business asset and depreciation when you're, t- when you're t- taking tax deductions for uh, tax return purposes, you can count depreciation of assets uh, for your business. Do you do the same for my six open? So some say, yeah, why not? And Moshe Feinstein says, no, you only take the depreciation at the very, very end, then uh, you're allowed to deduct you know, the asset once you lose the asset at the very end. But these types of determinations, well, I think, account. very much depend upon a kind of what is the most efficient in terms of a person being able to keep track of all of their expenses in terms of when they're going to uh, calculate it uh, and the like. But what the Yerach HaShulchan does say very, very clearly in the next line, the fourth line of the Yerach HaShulchan is, but you're not allowed to take off a household expenses. Household expenses! That's just part of life. That's why you're earning your money. You earn your money in order to pay money for yourself and you also give a certain amount for Aniyam. But that's the idea. You don't just pay, you don't just make money in order to put it underneath the rug, right? You're earning money in order to spend the money. That's how my parents always taught me, right? You know, to put money away. You gotta be kidding me. You make money in order to spend money. So you're spending money on yourself. You're spending a little bit of money on the, the, uh, the Aniyam. You spend, spend 10% on the Aniyam. Says, of course, you don't get to take that off. However, that's not so pushed. Even though it's pushed to the Yorok HaShokhan, the Yorok HaShokhan says that, of course, you don't take uh, that off. That's just, you know, part of how you spend uh, your money, which is the money that you have earned. Nonetheless, uh, there is a curious chuba, which is quoted by the Sherek Nessus Agdol in Source 32, from a Mamatsiahu Tribus. Mamatsiahu Tribus, not necessarily a well-known personality, he was considered a very holy rabbi. He was the chief rabbi of Paris. In the, 14th, uh, in the 14th century, and uh, there's a chuba attributed to him. It's interesting because this chuba is also born in the Avkastro Chel. The Avkastro Chel was a collection of chubos uh, that were authored in large part by the Beis Yosef. So the Beis Yosef seems to vouch for this chuba, at least the Chidah found this chuba with the signature of the Beis Yosef on it. So he put his signature, he put his John Hancock or his Rav Yosef Karo on it, so that would seem to indicate that he thought well of the tshuva. And the tshuva primarily is talking about how don't think when you're giving my six up him that you're only giving on the profit. Like you make a lot of money and now you invest the money you only give on the profit. He says, no, when you make a lot of money first you, uh, or you get a giant asset 
first you give Maisek Sapim on that giant asset, on that giant amount of money that you made or you sold, you sold an asset and you made a lot of money. So first you give Maisek Sapim on that. And then with whatever money you, you have left over, you're going to invest that in the bank. You can put that in other investments in a mutual fund, whatever. So then every single year you give Maisek Sapim on the Rebach, on the profit that, that you earn from the principal. But you got to first give on the principal. But in the course of making this a general statement about how you do Maisek Sapim in that particular fashion, he says, yeah, and when you make the cheshbon, of course, you um, give, you deduct, um, you should first deduct, so whatever you had to spend on, like, food, clothing, shelter, you know, basic household expenses, you can't pay that, so how are you going to have any money to give to Aniyam? First, you got chayach right? You first have to take care of yourself, so obviously you get to deduct those expenses. That's what it sounds like he is basically uh, saying, and uh, of course, some had to scratch their head because that doesn't sound like it's really uh, outside of your income or something which you're just paying in order to make profit. That's what I'm doing with the money after I have earned the money. So the Chida, uh, in his Berke Yosef commentary to the Shulchan Aruch, tries to reinterpret the Shari Knesset Sagdoila. He says that, yeah, you should take money from the Rebach, and when he says, you have to break up that term. He's saying, yeah, you have to give money on the Rebach, including that which your Pizir, Bidvar Matsrikim Labayas, include that which, that which you are spending on household items. Of course, that's not deductible, but the Chida admits that that's not how the sentence reads. The sentence really sounds um, like uh, that you only look at the Rebach after you have deducted the amount of money that was spent on habayis, on household expenses. So uh, he doesn't really know 100% exactly what to do with that. As a result of all of this, if you look in the Tzitzel Eliezer, Source 33, Bab, so Tzitzel Eliezer says, you know what, look at this last uh, word in the second line, where this Shuba that we just looked at, Nisharek Nesses Hagadoyla, was from the base Yosef, the Alkas Rochel, all the Harab Matisiel Trivish, or it was from this holy uh, 14th century rabbi Matisiel Trivish, Paradavish Gavarabba, Melamilsa. Ah, we see that somebody really Chashub said this, like we have to take it seriously, and you can't so easily dismiss this. Um, and we certainly, so therefore he says that, that uh, since my Sopim is only Midrabanon, and many say, like we said last week, that it's only a Minog, that a person can take upon themselves to say, you know what, I'm going to keep this Minog, my Sopim, but I'm going to deduct household expenses. If, in fact, somebody really needs to, because otherwise they would not be able to fulfill the mitzvah of Maisek Sopim. So uh, I think that what it boils down to is uh, that we don't really hold this way. It's interesting, there's the Kitzah Shulchan Aruch. I think I included that in material in Source 31. Kitzah Shulchan Aruch, when he talks about Maisek Sopim, so he says, First year, you, in other words, when you earn something the first time, you take 10% from the principal when you get it. And afterwards, whatever that principal earns in terms of interest, you get 10% or property, you give 10% for that. And then it says, So, but you take off your household expenses, but that's, I have in parentheses. I have that in parentheses because in most versions of the Kitzvah Shulchan it does not appear. 
does not appear, but in certain versions it crept in. It crept in. So there's a big question, is that really the correct Gersa? So those who have researched old manuscripts of the Kitzvah Shulchan Arach have found that by and large, in the old manuscripts, the three words do not appear. Somebody snuck in. Somebody wanted to deduct household expenses, <laughs> snuck it in. I don't know what to say. There is one old edition apparently where it does appear, so it's a little bit, um, uh, a little bit iffy. It's a little bit iffy. The Shevet Alevi in Chela Kesim and Kuf Memtes says the Minog is not to count household expenses. Kach Shemati may Rebbe Moi, Harav Shechter Shlita also that that is essentially the prevalent Minog that we do not deduct household expenses. Well, the Sitzeliezer is essentially saying is that if somebody, if by not being allowed to deduct household expenses, isn't really going to have anything left over for any... They'll have a little bit. Everyone's going to give tzedakah, tzedakah. They'll give the shlishi sashek, like you mentioned last week. They'll give something for a name, but they won't be able to take 10%, because it'll be impossible for them to take 10% if they don't deduct their household expenses. So for somebody like that, it might make sense. I think that's what the tzitzelias are saying. So somebody like that, who really has a lot of small children or whatever, and it's just, uh, they, they have difficulty making ends meet, and they're always in credit card debt and so forth or whatever. If they're going to not be allowed to deduct household expenses, they're simply not going to be able to keep the, the minimum amount of the household, my, my six up them all together. So such a person could probably make it tonight and say, you know what, this is the only way I'll be able to do it. Otherwise, I won't be able to, get to pay 10%. So then there's what, um, there's what to talk about. There's also a question of whether to adjust for inflation. Let's say that a person has a house. And you sell the house, and you made a $500,000 profit on the house. But if you adjust for inflation, you really just made a $200,000 profit on the house. So you pay my six up him on $500,000, you pay my six up him on $200,000. So Ramosha says, of course, you do adjust for inflation. Because basically, the benefit that you're getting is essentially after inflation. This isn't like a ribbis calculation where everything is absolutely rigid. Here we say it's a question of how much have you actually profited. So you do have to take, you, you do have the right to take uh, inflation into, um, um, in, into account. What about if you have a dividends that you earn in your stock accounts and the dividends are automatically reinvested? So here too, I wouldn't call it Svaris Akeris, but you find different opinions. So some say, well, you earn the money. You, earn the, you decided you're going to put it back you know, in the stock, so therefore you have to pay for it. That's what some say. Um, the same thing with respect to, uh, there's something called a 1031 exchange, that a person, has, anybody hear of that? Yeah. You have a commercial property, and uh, then like you, uh, you would make you know, money that would otherwise be taxable, but if you put that in a new investment afterwards, so then it doesn't get taxable right away. So do we say that, we, that the same thing would be applicable to my six offerings? So some say, well, no, we're going to distinguish. If it's dividends that are automatically re- reinvested, you don't even know about it. You're just like, your broker's doing it. It's just like happening by itself. How are you going to keep track of that? It's as if you never got the money. So that you don't have to count until you actually take out the money. But a 1031 exchange, so you actually had the money. You make a conscious decision and you're going to put that into investments, so then you should pay my six of them. And others say, oh, there's an article by my cover by Daniel Stein, he says, no, because if it's, why should it be treated any differently? If the idea is that you're paying the my six of them when you actually get the cash in your hand, and here the money just keeps on getting reinvested, 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 so he doesn't think that 1031 exchanges should necessarily be treated any differently. So here I say, now and now That everybody has to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense in terms of their own calculations. So what somebody four hundred one k plan, 401k plan, the same thing. So some folks who say that, hey, you had the ability to take the money. You decided you're going to put the money into the pension right away. So it doesn't matter. You got the money, and you should pay my six up and right away. And then when you take the money back uh, out afterwards, when you're 65, 75, 85 years old, whatever it's going to be, so then you'll only have to pay my six up on the additional amounts. 
And others say, are you kidding me? How in the world do you think I'm going to keep track of that? Do you think I'll be able to keep track of the amounts that I originally paid for and then the amounts that are added afterwards? I can't just say the same thing with dividends. If somebody's like a real yucky and they're unbelievably <laughs> meticulous at keeping like every a ledger of every single item that they received on exactly what date and what was paid and so forth and they actually, you know, key, hold on to those notebooks forever and so forth. Um, so then, okay, maybe it makes sense that you take the original uh, my six up and on the first amount and then you just uh, take afterwards on the additional amounts. But if you're not somebody who's necessarily going to be able to keep an easy track of that, so then there is a Savara to say that you would wait until the money actually uh, comes to you uh, comes to you afterwards. Now the next big question is Sorry. what? Yes, go on ahead. Ten thirty one. Uh huh. You're just paying on the appreciation or the profit of the real estate. If, you, if I bought real estate for a hundred thousand, now it's worth one hundred fifty, and I'm going to do a ten thirty one for tax expense to put the one hundred fifty into a new real estate property. But it's rolled over. I made the money. I I, I didn't have I, to I roll over. 50. I didn't right. have to roll over the money to a new investment. I didn't have to, but, but I, I'm only but I chose to. Fifty that I made, not the whole hundred fifty. Well, yes, that's right. But 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 the idea with respect to the ten thirty one exchange is that I could I could wait until afterwards right. if I roll into a new investment. So even that we would say that some argue that you have the right to, to do that when it comes to my six them as well. And I would just say that on some level, it's even um, just uh, as a practical matter. Especially if you're calculating your MISIX up based on the fiscal year, because you're doing it in tandem with your taxes, it's just easier and more efficient to, to sort of calculate the MISIX up in a way that tracks the way that you're, that, that you're calculating your taxes. So that as you calculate, why well, I have to pay this much tax, you also calculate to pay this much MISIX up So if the tax is deferred until a later point in time, so the MISIX up is deferred similarly to the later point in time, it will be easier to keep track of it in that, uh, in that way. Um, now, if a person never pays tax altogether, so and they're only focusing on my six up, might be a different story. But I'm not necessarily endorsing that. That's last year's issue of paying taxes. Yes. Um, when you sell stocks, is it the entire transaction? Is it stock by stock, or because for tax purposes? You might lose money on this stock, gain money on For my six seven purposes, it's whenever I sit down and I do the calculation for the entire year. So some say I could do it one time for the entire year. I could do it two times over the course of the entire year. But I don't have to do a transaction by transaction. But, but the lock on a stock would be considered a uh, household expense? Or, no, not or, a household expense. Or, or expense. Right? He wants to net his No, you Whatever you have in stocks, that's considered, these are considered to be your gains or expenses over the course of the year in terms of your investments. That's a business investment. That's a business investment. But obviously I'm paying money on my business profits, but I can offset my business losses against my business profits. That I would have the right to do. Okay, and, now... And what, yeah. about, what about gains on things that might be also... Um, so like, we're gonna, like gambling? Ah, excellent. So we're going to talk about... Uh, the, our next topic is, uh, is, is, is doing business with forbidden items. Okay, that's the next topic. So we'll get to all of that. I'm not sure it'll be next week because I have to figure... I, I, I might take, take a couple of weeks off. You might take a couple of weeks off. Next week is Yeshiva week, I think? Yeah. Okay, so you'll see. okay, because a lot of people won't be here. All right, anyway. And the following week, I won't be here anymore. Okay, now so the next big question is... What counts as a charity to qualify as miser? Now you have to give your 10%. What do you pay the 10% for, right? So this runs to the question as to whether miser suffering is a din deraisa that basically is modeled after miser ani. Miser ani, I have to give to? Aniyam, you have to give it to poor people, basically, right? Or I might say, well, it's not exactly din deraisa, but it's in a smachta that is modeled after miser ani. So that's one question. If you look at the remark in source 15, this is in the first sif, I believe, of a Simon Reishman test. This is where you have the major discussion of Isaac Zafim. So says the, um, says the Ramah, um, 
Ve'ein lasos, okay, we'll get to this ve'ein part in a bit. Ve'ein lasos ma'asos shlo dva mitzvah. You can't use your ma'asos up in for a mitzvah, for a mitzvah, so you have to use it for poor people. You know, what, what's a mitzvah? Go nearest the basic nessus. Oh, I'm going to buy candles to the basic nessus. That's nice. They, they, they can use candles, but the poor people are hungry. Oh, shadra mitzvah. Or you're going to use it for some other mitzvah. I'll use it for donate to hot sauce. That's nice. But Maiser Ksafim is meant for Aniyim. Rakitnenu la Aniyim. You should do the other things too. But as far as the Maiser Ksafim, that should go specifically to poor people. That's what the Ramah quotes from the Maharil. So it could be that the Ramah is saying that, well, Maiser Ksafim is supposed to track basically the rules of Maiser Ani. Either it's a real viewed as a derisa or it's viewed as a drabanum that is, that is predicated upon uh, the uh, principles of Maisa Ani, and therefore it has to go only to Aniyim. However, the Chavis Chaim in the Sefer Avas Kastri points out that while we did have uh, the Medrash that we quoted last week about Aser to Aser, Ace called Fuasarecha, that we learned from Ace, that from your Pragmatia, from your Ribis, that all of that is supposed to go for Maisa Ksafim, um, and presumably that means it goes to Aniyim. There's another Medrash that derives not from Eskol, but from Aser to Aser, and it comes out a little bit differently. And listen closely. Aser to Aser, Aser Kadesh Tisasher, we know that, with that rule, of course, you know, give money so that you'll become rich. Aser Kadesh Lotis Kaser, give so that you're not going to become poor. Remis, the Mefarsha Yomim Frak Matutin, um, so this is a remis for all those people who are out and go, going overseas and doing business and so forth. Lehaprish Echon Me'asara, to give out one and ten to Lamole Taira to give to those people who toil in Torah. So it says, we see from the Medrash Tankuma, which is another major source of giving my six up and all together, that it is very legitimate it seems to be very legitimate to give at least a significant portion of your Maisik Safim to those who are toiling in Torah for themselves, are Aniyam, because they're spending so much time learning Torahs that they need extra money, right? Um, so therefore, he says that since we do have an original Limud that is applicable to Limud, to Amali Torah, so he thinks that there's certainly room to, even if you're going to be strict, for the opinion of uh, the Ramah to say that if you're giving to a Torah institute, a Torah Tamatoa institution, or to a base Knesset, which is Miyukhan for Tamatoa, like, you know, a show where they have regular Shiurim, so you're going to give, you know, for a course of that sort, so he thinks that there's a much more of answer. But there may be, if you think about it, other Nafkaminas, in terms of uh, the, whether I say the Maisek Sopim is pattern after Maisa Ani, or whether sort of it lives in its own universe. So one is, like we just mentioned before, the Chavos Yaya pointed out that there's no such thing as deducting business expenses when it comes to Maisa Ani, but clearly we do hold that way with respect to uh, Maisa Ksafim. Similarly, um, uh, with respect to, to supporting a parent. So the Gemara in Kedushan, Dapalama Beis, says if you use Maisa Ani to support a parent, so Tabal Meira, such a person like gets uh, a pox on their head, um, uh, for uh, being so insulting uh, that, that uh, they're going to uh, sort of undercut their parent by saying, yeah, I'll support you, but I'm only doing it if I can get a benefit. I can take that off my mice honey. If a person is really indigent and they have no other way to support a parent, so of course they can do that. But otherwise, it's not something that they're supposed to, that they're supposed to do. And if I say that Maiser Ksapim is treated similarly, so the Chatkhila, you really shouldn't use Maiser Ksapim for support of, let's say, an old parent in a nursing home or something like that. A child is supposed to support a parent, of course, and we say Kibbut Abayim is really through the resources of the parent, so using your own resources, it's Staka, it's certainly Staka, but the Chatkhila, if we're patterning it after Maiser Ani, you really shouldn't take that out of Maiser Ksapim. In fact, that's, that's what the Nosekelem on Shokhanarak 
say, ah, you really, you, you, you could do it, it would count, uh, but the chatzchila, it's not, uh, it's not ideal. Um, also, I'm sorry? We'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, so also, uh, whether another important apkamina as to whether it sort of pays pattern after Maeser uh, Ani is that Maeser Ani is the one case where the Gemara says that, that you're allowed mutter lenasos es Hashem. You're allowed to, in this particular case, you're allowed to test Hashem. You're allowed to say to Hashem, well, I'm only going to do this if you give me like a, uh, a big break. If you give me a big break, uh, like Bachanuni Nabazos. Um, right, uh, that's uh, the Gemara and Tainus, the source of 43, right? You're not allowed to say, oh, well, Hashem, let me see if you're really going to keep, uh, if you're really going to be good. Uh, I'll do this mitzvah, now let's see if uh, I get, uh, if I get the rewards. You're not allowed to do that, you do the mitzvah anyway. So, this is the one exception. Kaspalku says, you know what, you can test me in one area, and that's when it comes to the giving of a tzedakah that you give, it's called a masir, you give your masir ani, v'chanuni nabazos. You can test me in this, uh, that I'm going to open up all of the chambers, the chimneys of Shemayim, and you're going to uh, be uh, blessed uh, with uh, tremendous fortune uh, by virtue of giving a Maisa Oni. And you're allowed to have that in mind when you give Maisa Oni. So do you have the right to have that in mind when it comes to Maisa Tzedakah? To Maisa Tzedakah. So the Ramah says, yes. The Ramah says, you can have that in mind. So Rav Shakta says, that's Ramah Shitoso. Ramah says, my six is like my son, and that's why he has to go dafka to Aniyim. So, so, so therefore it makes perfect sense. So the Pisgah Tshuva, at the beginning of Hilchas Tzedaka, quotes a lot of Shitos, of uh, Yaakov Emden, and a number of others who say, no, that's not entirely true. We also held this way. The Maisek Sofim lives in a separate domain, and therefore you're not allowed to be Manasseh as Hashem with Maisek Sofim. Um, there's also maybe an Afkamina whether an Ani would be Chayev. An Ani is Chayev in Maisek Ani, but he's not necessarily going to be Chayev in Maisek Sofim if I say that it lives in a different realm. Um, and that's what, and it's interesting because because we, we do seem to be Mako with respect to an Ani who doesn't really have the resources to um, the give a uh, stock up uh, at least uh, to the portion of the amount of one ten that we say that that um, uh, it's not necessary uh, for him to uh, keep this uh, minog uh, the way that we understand it of ma'aser uh, of ma'aser ani so uh, ma'aser sopim excuse me so the uh, the general malach is to assume that ma'aser sopim is only a, a minog to but but nonetheless the derech hamuna if you look in source forty two the derech hamuna of Chaim Kanievsky does work with the assumption that Rahalacha, you can't be Manasseh Hashem. You can't say, I'm giving the Maisek Sofim, and Hashem, I want you to know that I'm doing it because I really want to be rich. Now, we don't consider that to be necessarily a virtuous thing to just want to be rich, but the idea presumably is, because I want to be rich, so I can give even more stalkers. so I can give even more stalkers. so that's the idea, right? So if you look in the Derech Emuna, this is source 44, some say only with Maise Oni. Can you be So he quotes the Chavetz Chaim and said, No, you can't be Meiko. But you can only say to Hashem, I'm doing, I'm giving the money, so I become rich. You can't say, I'm giving the money so that my son shall live to 120. It's a nice thing you should you know, bless your son and you know, 
with, with that wish and, and, and all kinds of brachos. But in terms of a, a, a sort of making a demand of a Kaddish Baruch that's only with respect to becoming rich by virtue of giving the Maisik Sovin. That's the reason I gave that example. He says to give, you know, for, for it to be for a different purpose, then you will not be allowed. Then he has in his footnotes the very following fascinating comment. See on Says, Let's say you give the money six of him, but what do you know? You didn't strike it rich. You didn't become rich. You say, whoa, I was allowed to hold the Kodesh Baruch to this deal. I was allowed to say to the Kodesh Baruch hey, I'm giving the money in order to Kodesh and you didn't make me rich. What's going on here? So, yeah, you should know, don't worry. That it was determined in Shemayim, this is really best for you, so don't worry about it. You're much better off not becoming rich. And often that's the case in life, you lose out from a tremendous deal, tremendous opportunity, and say, oh my goodness, how could such a terrible thing happen? You have to assume you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, God willing, giving stuck in and all that. So you say, so you have to realize this is a favor. It's an unbelievable chesed. There are all kinds of misyonas that people can have when they get too much money and so forth. The terrible, terrible things can happen. Um, good things can happen too, but terrible things can happen sometimes. So you have to view it always as a tremendous. You don't know what you were. Sa- you don't know what you were saved from when, 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 when you just barely made it, uh, barely missed making an unbelievable fortune. You don't know what you were saved from. You have to just say thank you, Hashem. That's what you have to say every single time. So that's what Chaim Kanievsky is teaching. A very, very important lesson. Okay, now. What the Ramah started out saying was he quoted this Mario said that the money should be given only to any Yemen and what it should not be used for. What are you not allowed to use the Maisa Ani for? So the Ramah said you're not allowed to use it for the Bar Mitzvah. Now this comes from a Mahario. This comes from a Mahario. And the Mephorshan uh, quote that there's a Maharam that seems to say otherwise. There's a Maharam that held that, that if you're going to use the money, um, uh, for to in order to be a Balbris. Apparently people used to do this. Like to be a Sanduk, you would give like a lot of money to the family that just gave birth to a boy and said, here's a lot of money, I want to be the Sanduk. I, I never tried. I never did. It's a very interesting thing. But uh, part of that minog, although I don't know if this is so um, commonly practiced, is that if you are honored as a Sanduk, you're supposed to give a nice gift apparently to the family. So there, there, there is, uh, I don't think, I don't There's know if it's... There's a source of yeah. the Sanduk is supposed to pay for the Sudha. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, right, right, well, do uh, it a few uh, weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not sure that <laughs> I can be... So, <laughs> excited to be a Sanduk if that's going to be the case. But, 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 but this, was, this was like a thing. Um, or, the Achnasus Kostanakala, you want to give money for to help out a Kostanakala, or the Knos farm, or to buy Sfarm. These are all things that, that uh, let's say, these are Sfarm that you would not have been able to buy otherwise. So the Maharam says in all these cases, um, if you're not going to be able to do these things, unless you use your Maisik Sfarm, you're not going to be able to be a Sandak, you're not going to be able to help out the Chosen Kala, you're not going to be able to buy Sfarm, unless you use it from your Maisik Sfarm. So then, he says that, that you would be allowed to use it from the Maisik Sfarm. And this is basically sort of the test, that, that if you look in Source 25 in the Drisha, the Drisha has this test in terms of when you're allowed to use the Maisik Sfarm for missile purposes. He says as follows, says, let's say it's a question of buying Sfarm from Maisik. This is what I tell people. All these cases, the Maram, Lashila la Acherim. I mean, he's quoting the Maram. Lima behen im lo ya yecholos biyadav lo ya osa osa lo ya osa osa mitzvah. If you wouldn't have been able to do the mitzvah without using your ma'aser sofim, yacholik los min a ma'aser. Then you would be allowed to use it for the ma'aser. So that's sort of the distinction he draws. 
that if the only way you can do it, and then when you buy the sefer, you also make it available to her. You buy Kodesh Lashem, you make this, you say anybody who looks at the, who wants to borrow the sefer is allowed to borrow the sefer. You make you write you, you write a notation of that sort inside of the sefer, and then you're good to go in terms of using it for Baisik Sofim. And I know that people do this. They'll use the portion of Baisik Sofim, the Baisik and they say, and they'll say these farm are available, they write Kodesh Lashem, they're, they're available uh, to lend out to anybody, um, uh, whoever wants to borrow, the, borrow these farm. Now, says Rav Chaim Kanievsky in his Derech he says, I don't think this works anymore nowadays. Because nowadays, everybody has such easy access to Sfarim, even if you put in your Sefer that this is, uh, this, that this is uh, available to anyone who wants to borrow the Sefer at any point in time, uh, most of the time they're not going to bother taking your Sefer because they have access to other Sfarim anyway. So he said, and, and anyway, people live far apart from each other, and people aren't just going to knock on your door in the middle of the night and then say, let me go down to your, your, your library, to, to, your, to your bookcase, and I'm going to you know, look for a safer to borrow. It's just not going to happen. So he says these things are impractical nowadays. That the, number one, there's more access to Svarim. And number two, it's not as if your Svarim is sitting in a big public square that's going to be available for everybody so easily. Now, I was speaking to my son, Yamin, in Neri Svarim, who was at a time in Neri Svarim the other day, and he said that they do have like a pile of like Maisek Svarim Svarim that people like use all the time. It's in like some big table that's available to everybody, you know, in that uh, yeshiva. So maybe it really depends on the circumstances of where the Svarim are kept, how this were kept, how much they're needed, and uh, how available and easily accessible they are to everybody. So, you know, but th- that's in a sort of an interesting comment that he makes. Now, the Baragola, who doesn't always have uh, so much commentary to say other than telling you what the sources are for the Shulchan Aruch, he gives you a litmus test himself. Look at source 26. He says, when is it that you're allowed to use uh, the money from Mitzvah? And he thinks he's trying to make Shalom. He's trying to make Shalom between the harsh, uh, stringent opinion of the Ma'ariel and the lenient opinion of the Ma'ariel. He says, when is it that you can use uh, the, the Maisek Sopim for Mitzvah purposes? He says, you can't use it if it's a question of discharging a chobe that you have from your Maisek Sopim money. Because we have a principle you get anything which is required of you to do, you have to take from your own money and not from dedicated money for something else like my sashemi money. So you shouldn't use it from my sashemi money either. So that's a basically, if you have the obligation to do a mitzvah anyway, so then you shouldn't use the my sashemi money. But something you're not mechuyev to do. You're not mechuyev to buy an aliyah for somebody. You're not mechuyav to help out this chosen mekala. You're not mechuyav to be a sandok at this bris. You're not mechuyav to buy these farm. If it's something that you're not mechuyav to do, so then he says, that's when you're allowed to use the Maisek Sopim money. So the Sam Sopim says, that's very nice. He tried to make a pshara, the Baragola tries to make a pshara between the Mariel and the Maram. Look about the second paragraph of the Sam Sopim. The Simon Reishlam and Alp and Yerodeah. About eight lines down, middle of the line, about, you see it, about Mechilas Kibodo. Anybody find it? It's a, it's a Roshi Tev, it's about Mechakak. About Mechilas Kibodo. Shoga! Berod Mariel, he made a mistake because the Mariel otherwise, uh, elsewhere, doesn't make, in, his, in one Shuvah, the Mariel says you can't use Maisek Sopim for Mitzvah purposes because, called Tava Shibachobe, Enu Balaminachulin. But elsewhere he says, you know why you can't do it? Kasa Lehed Yatam, Mishin the Maisek Shayak Ramiyim! Because the Maiser belongs to poor people. You're stealing from them, you're robbing from the poor people if you're using the Maiser money for a mitzvah. It doesn't matter whether you're discharging an obligation or not. 
Even if you're not chayev to buy candles for the shul, look, you use some of the ma'asik sefim to buy candles for the shul. You know what you're not using it for? You're not using it for the aniyim. It's very, very strong language. Look, Sam Sofa gives you his own solution. If you turn to the next page, okay, so Sam Sofa says, I'll tell you exactly how you can solve this problem. He says you can problem, you can solve the problem as follows. He says, Umina, um, uh, this is two lines from the bottom of the first carryover paragraph on page six. Umina, if at the very beginning of when you decide to practice my success, remember we said this, basically a minimum, so you can decide <coughs> what the parameters are going to do the first time you do it. If you say, you make a tonight, so then the Mario would agree. That's the way that you can reconcile the two. Because the minute goes, if you didn't say anything, so then uh, you uh, don't have the right to use the money that would otherwise go to an end. But if you're saying, I am setting aside my Yisrael so that the non-obligatory mitzvot that I need, that I am going to perform can be taken out of my Yisrael so then you would be allowed to do it under those uh, under those circumstances. What age are you obligated to do uh, what age? You're not obligated altogether. It's a minute talk. So whatever age you take it on. I mean, my own boys, when they got the gifts and uh, money for their bar mitzvahs, they turned to me and said, oh, I, I want to calculate the amount that I got so I can give my six. Then they should have considered uh, all these tonight. Uh, they should have. They should have. Should, 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 <laughs> you know. right. Can you do it every year, setting the parameters? Um, no. He says you should do it right away. If you didn't do it right away and you did not sort of carve this out, so then you would have to do like a Taurus Nadarim later on. And to say, even though I did not make this tonight at the beginning, I'm going to make this tonight going forward. Even if you made it tonight, even if you made it tonight, like Sam Sofa says, you should not give more than 50% um, for mitzvah purposes because the Aniyam should get at least 50%. He does say that, and he says it, it wouldn't be right for my Sofa not to go at least 50% to, uh, to, to the Aniyam, so that much he says would be, um, that much he says would be necessary. Okay. Um, the Taz says that it depends on your kavana when you're like buying at the time. Let's say that I'm buying an aliyah for somebody or I am buying the candles for the basic nessus. So if at that time you have in mind that you're going to give it for the maizik sofim, so then it would work. So he puts it, you know, in that, uh, in that particular, uh, in that particular context. Um, the, uh, the Avas Chesed, the Chavit, the Chavit Chaim, and the Avas Chesed says that it is especially uh, efficacious. I'm sorry? He buys the aliyah for himself. Well, uh, the example they give is you're buying the aliyah for other people, but stomach, even if you're buying the aliyah for yourself, but the money is going to the shul, so it's the same, the same idea. Just assuming, I guess the minute in those days, it was that people would buy the aliyah for other people. That was just kind of the way it was done. It's interesting. You know? um, so uh, the, the Chavis Chaim says that if the money, uh, along those lines, if the money that you are, that you are spending is ultimately going to an aliyah, when you're, you're buying the candles for the basic nesses, it's really like, uh, 10% of the money is going for the candles, but 90% is going for the aniyam, so that obviously makes it a lot better because then you really offer uh, funding aniyam. Um, well, or, for example, this family that's making a bris milah and you're paying the money to be the signed up, you're really paying them a lot of money, not just for the mitzvah, but because they happen to be a poor family, and this is a way to be mefanis and bechavot, say, I'm not giving you the money because you're poor, I'm giving you the money because I want to be a signed up, so that makes it, makes it a lot better. The candles, the candles from you because you're poor. Yeah, uh, um, I'm sorry? You're buying the candles because they're poor. I'm buying candles from you because you're poor. 
people used to sell pencils. Oh, yeah, no, he was talking about, right, buying the candles for the base classes, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, now, um, we, only, we only have about seven minutes left, so I wanted just to cover, mm, all right, we'll try. The Shach also brings uh, the Maram uh, Mirutenberg, uh, that supporting Banavagdolim also counts as um, Tzlokam. The Shokhanot brings us this. Was it Tzlokam? Oset Tzlokam B'Kolais, the Gemara says, in Ksubas Dapnon, is a reference to those who are Mephanis, the children who are above the age of six, because you don't really have a responsibility to support your children over the age of six. They can go work in the coal mines, whatever. So if you do that, that's considered to be an act of Tzlokam. So can you then count that from Isaac Sopham? So he quotes from a, from a Marami Rutenberg, yeah, sure, why not? And the Taj thinks that's scandalous. The Taj thinks that's absolutely scandalous. What are you talking about? Of course, like, it might be a stalker, but it's a stalker that you're obligated to do anyway. Like, every parent is obligated to take care of their children above the age of six. I can just kick them out of the house and say, go to work. So even though you get credit for stalker, but you shouldn't take that out of my six often because that really is satisfying a dovership. Bechova min hakulin. And that's what the vast, vast majority of posts can say. But, but Rabbi Yosef has a very a beautiful chuba about this in Chelek Gimel Simen Ayin Vav of the Yechavet Das, in which he points out that uh, the, the simple reading of the sources is that, hey, this is stalker, so that should count. Um, he, he brings one source, I think an Abnei Tzedek, who says maybe we distinguish between if you're below the age of 13, they're, they're below the age of 13 or above, because maybe there's more of an obligation until they, they reach, you know, uh, uh, until they reach Gagos. But he rejects this distinction. Uh, and um, he thinks that uh, there is what to, to rely upon. Uh, again, if a person uh, otherwise is just not going to be able to satisfy the Maisek Sopim uh, threshold. The Yarek HaShokha makes... Tuition. No, here we're talking about, we'll get to tuition in a second. Here we're talking about food, clothing, and shelter for your children who are above the age of six. Because it could be, when it comes to tuition, he says tuition is a much more serious matter. Uh, tuition, you have a father has a real obligation to teach Torah, even for money, uh, when it comes to his sons, over the age of six. Even over the age of six. Even over the age of six. Um, the Yorah HaShokah says, hey, if we're going to count this, it's stuck us, so nobody's going to end up paying my six offerings to anybody else. Um, so that's sort of a practical consideration. And Ramosha has alumnus that, well, you have to furnish your wife with Mizonos, and that includes, according to the Gemara, money that she uses to pay the Aniyam who come to the door and the guests. And why should your children be any worse than the guests? And if this is something that your wife needs to support your children until they get married and move out of the house, so that doesn't count as nice exopping. Um, so uh, that's kind of the way he looks at it. Everybody just say close to all this, but he says, hmm, I don't know, I'm not sure. Um, so there are those like the Badi Ashokhan who thinks that this could be taken into, uh, it could be taken into, uh, into consideration. Uh, I think that the main way it's taken into consideration is uh, in terms of, as I said, a young family, that if they wouldn't be able to, to count, you know, this towards their 10%, so then they wouldn't be able to get to the 10% altogether. Um, so for those families, maybe you can deduct household expenses and you can deduct the amount that you use to, 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 to support your young children. So or, or not, it's in a deduction. You can count the MySix up and for the young children above the age of six. Um, but I think most of the post game are, um, are mocking about this. The Yorkashokhan says you can't use that money towards MySix up and shave it a lady. Um, also uh, says uh, that uh, you can't uh, use that money uh, towards, uh, towards, uh, towards um, uh, MySix up and and the Chazunish uh, similarly said that you couldn't, although the stifler goat in the Ochus Rabbeinu is quoted as being make a better. Okay, anyway, now, there's a Shuvah by Ramoshe about Chino Chabonis. What about Chino Chabonis? You have an obligation to uh, teach Torah to your sons, even though, even there, there's a, a Pritzadik who says, no, if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, that's only if, load, uh, if um, 
if lo dechika le milsa, if the person has plenty of money, but if dechika le milsa, really you have to pay money to teach a Tanakh to your sons, but not necessarily Tom Shabbat to your sons. But uh, most poskim don't go for that. They don't. They don't go for that. They don't go for that in a big way. Uh, but Ramon she says, but what about chinuch chabanos? You're there, so you don't necessarily have to send your, your daughter's offer to a school. So he says, no, you don't understand. If you didn't send your daughter's off to a school, so then they would end up going to public school. They end up going to public school, so then they're going to lose their sense of frumkai and their sense of amuna. And one obligation, he says, that every single parent definitely has towards the daughters, even if there is no obligation of chinuk, which he says is not so clear. He thinks chinuk for mitzvahs, there certainly is an obligation even when it comes to daughters. But even if you want to argue that's not the case, this is in source uh, 35, he says that, that obviously, obviously uh, there is an obligation. Uh, obviously, when it comes to those basics of fundamentals of uh, foundations of faith, you're going to be mechuyev, and therefore, if you're going to pay, even with respect to girls' education, so then that's going to be a davish that you have this obligation, that you have no right to take from most meiser. So, at the end of the day, Ramosha says that until the, until the children are basically uh, out of the house, and that they're of marriageable age, when it comes to the tuition that you're paying, when it comes to household expenses, when it comes to children, that is not something which really counts as uh, towards a maiser sofim, although there are those who, who, dis- who disagree. Now, um, if we're dealing with a married child, and you're helping to finance them learning in kolel, because otherwise they're not going to have any money, so here there is more room to be made, but then the person really has to stipulate um, that their maistic and money is going to go towards uh, this purpose, and they can't spend all of their money towards their child, because that's not really fair, fair to the other aniyam. So here too, the post can say that it's appropriate that you shouldn't pay more than 50% of your maistic and for that purpose, and the other 50% you would give uh, to, um, you would give to other aniyam. Uh, and uh, the same would be um, the same would be t- the, 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 the same sort of cheshbon comes up when you're trying to figure out okay so what is the sort of the best allocation let's say you have Krobin who really are very very needy it's not just a question of I'm going to help a young couple that presumably could make money but they're very very needy so uh, to what degree am I allowed to really give uh, uh, all of my money to my Krobin there's a if you look in the Shulchan Aruch, so uh, there is a list of uh, priorities. There's a priority list. The first you give uh, to uh, your, if you look in source 45 and simulation and out, there's a priority list. So you first give to your Krovim, then after your Krovim, <coughs> you give to Ania Beso, and then Ania Iro, um, and before, and then Yosve Eretz Yisrael, uh, come in front, uh, after Ania Iro, after the poor of your own city, so then you look at the poor of Eretz Yisrael, then you look at the poor of other cities, and so forth. So how do you make, you know, all of these uh, calculations and judgments? So, so the Pesach says uh, that uh, if you have people who are not like the highest up on the totem pole, so first you give to those who are within your own family unit three quarters, and then to the next level you give one quarter of whatever, whatever is left o- o- over. Rosh Shechter uh, says that she, he thinks it should be two-thirds and one-third, um, and the truth of the matter is, I've seen this elsewhere as well, the, if you look closely at the tshuva that's quoted by the Pesach tshuva from uh, the, um, from the Maharam Ziskin, so uh, really what he says is, his case was, where a person was giving to a family member, and then they were giving to somebody who had the status of an Yircha, so he said that's two rungs down. Because first you give to poor people in your family, then you give to the poor Shechem, and then you give to the poor people who are from your city. So therefore, if you're giving to somebody who has the status of poor people in the city, that's two rungs down. 
So therefore, you go two rungs down in terms of the apportionment, so it becomes three quarters and one quarter. But if you're only going one rung down, so then it really would be two thirds and one third. So that's what Roshak is suggesting. So you give two thirds to the poor people in your family, if there were poor people in your family, and then you give one third, then of what's left over, you have one third. You give two thirds of that to the, your, your poor Shkainim, and then one third of whatever is, then you have one third left over, and you either give all of that to the poor people in your city, or you can give two thirds to the poor people in your city, and one third to the poor people in Eretz Yisrael. But basically, that's how you would apportion it, um, in order to make sure that everybody gets the, the right amount, uh, and um, uh, that uh, enables uh, enables every single class to be covered to some degree. Yes? Yes. Let's say that one person only needs clothing, but the other person needs food, so that person would be bumped up, even if they were of a lower class. Unless they're in your family, it gets a little complicated with the details. The family poor always goes first. You know, if it's Pikuach Nefesh, obviously whoever needs the Pikuach Nefesh, you know, jumps up to the top of the line. Um, uh, but uh, those are detailed rules, I would say, I yain in all of uh, the different uh, sources. I'll just end. Who's higher? There's, I'm sorry? Is poor or local poor? Which one is higher? The local poor or the Eretz Local poor, Bakim Shaksei, local poor come before Eretz Yisrael poor, even though there are some who want to say otherwise. But the reality is local poor actually comes before Eretz Yisrael poor. Um, so the, um, I'll just end with this one comment, which is that it's such a beautiful thing. Um, it might be difficult. People think, oh, they're going to be so overwhelmed. As I point out, as I pointed out, that there's a way of, of, of doing it where if you need to rely on various kulos, you can even do it relying on those kulos and just make the tonight that you're going to rely on those various kulos. It's a safe, um, Hilkos Maisek Sofim. It quotes from the safe on Hagos Tzadikim in the name of, of, of Shmuel uh, Tepelinsky, who was a great tzaddik who wrote the Kuntra Setzavah, um, that it's one of these things where it's very, very difficult to do like the first time, but once you do it the first time, it's like this unbelievable bracha that it becomes like easy and like uh, second nature to be able to do it afterwards. And it's just that brings with it a tremendous uh, bracha, and I would just say it's a sort of a modern-day application of, when I look at all the shilas that I get, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shilas that I get from people about, you know, every single nuanced transaction, how much do I give, they have to get to my six of them, it reminds me, it reminds me, I'm just saying personally, of the Gemara and Brachos that says that Kaddish Baruch you know, the Malachim asked him, how can you show panim? How can you show favoritism to Kukai Yisrael? Doesn't it say, Hashem lo yusta panim lo yikach shokad? And here you say, Yisrael Hashem panav elecha. So he says, Rukhi lo yisrael panim yisrael. I will bechot of Yisrael to revokta Hashem elecha. You only have to bench when you're satiated. Behemi dakin lasman. Because I said kebeis. I said kebeis. I said kebeis. I think my stuff, it's mamish like, I feel like it's in that category. Like, of course, people say, oh, like, like a minute told, a minute told you my six off of me, you know, I, I told you this, my sonny, this is like, you know, not, not a dice and not a button. Um, but you look at, you, you look at Klai Yisrael and you just see how much uh, everyone is just chalashing to keep this mitzvah and uh, to fulfill the notion of a uh, ma'isik sopim. I just feel that this should be like a tremendous course for, uh, for all of Klai, so it should be zolka to the days of Eves kilo yevacha evyo kivarechi yevacha Hashem ba'aretz asher Hashem al-kech and asen l'chon achalav yishta. You know, you said about that 700 how do you get the bay heading to the base on the track? It's actually 